Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Hey there, everyone. Kevin Cruz here. Welcome to the LeadX Show, which is just one of the ways we are sparking intentional leadership in 100 million people over the next 10 years. And if you want to stand out and to get ahead in your career, visit leadx.org for the free course of the day and for dozens of training programs in the LeadX Academy that I've personally curated for you. L-E-A-D-X dot O-R-G. Today in the show, you're going to hear from an entrepreneur who's leading one of the most successful franchise organizations in the world. We talk about challenges of delegation, stretch goals, and how her company has become the only ones that do what they do, even though they have 28,000 competitors. A lot to learn from this. And our challenge of the day, based on my conversation, is what are your key metrics? Pause today, you know, whether you're running a company, a team, or you're a team of one. What are the few key numbers that show the health and predict the future growth of your organization, of your department, of your team. If you automatically think, duh, Kevin, it's sales or it's profits or it's just getting all our work done on time this quarter, think harder. What is the activity behind those sales, profits, or getting the work done? What are the key metrics that you can monitor and watch on a weekly basis that's going to show whether you're reaching those goals or not? Our quote of the day, I choose to make the rest of my life the best of my life. That comes from Louise Hay, who's the founder of the publishing company Hay House. Our guest today is the CEO and founder of Bright Star Group and Bright Star Care, which is a home care and medical staffing company. She built it into a $400 million a year company in just 10 years, while also balancing work and family. She's been named Entrepreneur of the Year, and she's even starred in an episode of Undercover Boss. Our guest is Shelly Sun. Shelly, welcome to the show. My pleasure. So I have a tradition where I always start with the same first question with all of my guests, which is because I feel that failures are just stepping stones to something greater, we don't always know what that's going to be, I want to destigmatize failure a little bit for our listeners. So I'm hoping you'll tell me a story about one of your best failures and what did you learn from it? Well, I think as an entrepreneur, one of my best failures was starting to delegate responsibility to members of my senior team for my franchise advisory council. And I really lost my pulse of what my franchisees day was like on a day-to-day basis and how the economy was affecting them. And at that point in time, everything felt great at the franchisor level because we were growing and didn't realize how a down economy was affecting clients decreasing services or going away altogether. And it was a really hard time for my franchisees. And I had become out of touch. So I took my dose of humble pie and apologized to my franchisees and asked my co-chair of the Franchise Advisory Council to help me repair the damage that had been done and get the brand for franchisees and their profitability headed back in the right direction. And so it was my lowest point as a leader, but I think it really set some of the best times as us as a brand 
because it caused me to make commitments that I might not have made to franchisees that I have been able to keep up with, even though the economy has come back. So part of that was saying that we would allow the Franchise Advisory Council to take 10 to 15,000 of our labor hours every year and prioritize what the franchisor would work on that the franchisees cared about. And so, and we've done that every single year. So my my learning moment was in 2008. And so this many number of years later, we're still continuing to allow our Franchise Advisory, advisory Council to take 10 to 15,000 hours every year and prioritize initiatives that we work on on their behalf to improve their top line and their bottom line. And that's really great for the relationship. And I've learned I will never delegate the accountability for my franchise advisory council to any member of my team, no matter how big we get. Wow. I mean, that's a great story. Very honest. Thanks for that. And (laughs) it does make me wonder about, like, I've known a lot of managers and leaders who the problem is they're micromanaging, right? They want to do it themselves or are really looking too closely. And yet, if we step too far back, we can lose touch with what's going on, you know, out out in the real world. So tell me more, like, well, what do you think about this topic of delegation? How do you know what to delegate? How do you know what not to delegate? Or, or how do you balance it? Yeah, I, you know, I mean, it, it's something that's been a pendulum swing for me in terms of, you know, I'm an accountant by background. I founded the business. I was the branch manager. I in, interacted with every customer, every employee in the first few years. And so I knew the business so well that the hard thing can be you feel like no one else is going to do it like you would do it. So you tend to micromanage for a period of time and then you realize you can't scale. And so starting to work on new responsibilities, I think I found myself delegating too much without good controls in place. And I think I've found the happy balance now. I read a book back in 2013 called Traction by Gina Wickman that has the entrepreneurial operating system in it and really use that as a guide as to how do you delegate to a great team, but have checks and balances in terms of scorecards and quarterly responsibilities to make sure that what I need the business to deliver, the team is on track. And as long as they're on track, I can step back. But if they get off track, I know when to kind of come back in a little bit more and make sure that I'm moving the business forward. So that's been a real great ability for us to find the right balance for me personally as a leader of how do I set the vision and step down into the weeds if I need to, but only if I need to, that's been real important. And then I think the you know less lesson learned that I gave is while I think I found the right balance with my team, the blind spot I could still have is that I don't get bad news or don't get mm. the early warning indicators that teams don't necessarily want to tell their boss about, particularly a founder that owns 100% of the stock, right? And so everything's riding on a given day. And so that's where I think the combination of delegating to a great team, utilizing a program that's like from the book traction, entrepreneurial operating system with a good scorecard, and then keeping the pulse of the day-to-day through managing my Franchise Advisory Council and being close to that group of franchisees, I think has been a good balance for me as a franchisor. That's great. And it's actually the second time this week someone's recommended that book, Traction. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And so this is you know similar to what we're already talking about. But, you know, what advice you've been, you know, a leader of small teams, now leader of a very, very large team. What advice would you give to a young first time manager who she really wants to excel as a leader, but it's like 
right out from individual contributor to first time manager? What's like a fundamental piece of advice? Well, I think honest feedback that's timely is really important. And and I try to I learned this, you know, pr- probably as an early manager myself from coaching from one of my managers is it's it's always important to give feedback as timely and as specific as it can be. But people don't always love getting constructive criticism. So being able to do it in an Oreo, give positive as the chocolate, give the the icing in the middle, which is the constructive feedback. And sometimes it's a double stuff. (laughs) And then into something positive that shows your belief in them being able to make the changes necessary to excel individually and for the business with the chocolate cookie on the bottom. So that that Oreo approach has served me well, and it's very simplistic. But as I'm giving constructive feedback, I make myself kind of think through that. Whether that's in writing in an email, I try to start positive and end positive, and my constructive criticism might be in the middle or an issue that I'm addressing might be in the middle. And that's with a member of my team. That might be with a franchisee, and it might be with a vendor. So I try to to handle my written and verbal feedback that way. And again, you, I think you touched on it when you talk about these sort of dashboards and metrics from the book Traction. But I'm curious about, you know, how important has goal setting been for you and how important is it in the organization, you know, in terms of managers using specific goals and measures to keep people on track? I, I think it's an absolute must for for any business. I think I think that the the balance is what's the amount of stretch that gonna, is going to move the business forward. And as an entrepreneur, we always think we can do everything. And so making sure that it's realistic while still a stretch, I think is always my challenge. Um, but I think specific goals are really important. So the team can all get on the same page about what are the most important things that the business and individually we need to accomplish. Um, and it's really the only way to hold people accountable and be able to develop is if people know exactly what's expected of them. And it can't be subjective. It has to be objective. Right. And hopefully compensation programs are aligned with that. Do you have any rules of thumb on that stretch goal? I always struggle with that too. You know, you stretch too high, it's demotivating because you don't hit it or people don't think you can, yeah. but you don't want it to be a slam dunk either. Yeah, I think what we've, we've gone to in the last 12 to 18 months is we still kind of do the stretch that might be 10 to 15% above maybe what we accomplish of everything, if all the stars don't align. Mm-hmm. But we set a floor on bonus potential, where as long as we're at 80% of our EBITDA target, there's a sliding scale for payout. So anything above 80% is paying out. And as we get to 100% and above 100%, bonuses could actually be higher. So if their offer letter is up to 20%, it could be 25% if we blew the budget on the positive side out of the water. And that seems like it does the fair thing versus a lot of bonus plans like we used to have is if we don't hit EBITDA, no bonuses get paid. And then if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm stretching the the organization to be as good or better than any of my competitors, which I want to do so we continue moving forward and capturing market share, it can be demotivating if, if people don't feel like they can accomplish it. So it felt like the getting on the north side of 80%. Most of the time we're at 95. I think we're 97. We're tracking to 97% right now. But as long as we're above 80%, there's still pretty sizable bonuses that are being paid out. And I think the difficulty with stretch goals is when compensation is aligned to the stretch goals right, and right. decoupling and making it fair where every week our scorecards are about looking at the stretch and only the stretch but when we get to the year and we worked really hard and we knew we gave it our all, and we came up a few percentage points short. But if I gave the slam dunk number and it might be 20% less or 15% less, I'd rather have the higher number and miss it by three points 
than if set 15% down, I don't know that I would have made up that difference on the positive side. So that's been how we've tried to solve for the employee morale issues right. while not uh, giving up on our opportunity to continue to grow. It sounds like a good solution. And did I hear you actually track the metrics weekly? Is that right? We, we, we track many metrics weekly and then some that are just monthly or quarterly. But the key metrics that are going to influence whether we're going to hit our numbers, like our system-wide sales and how much our franchisees are growing year over year, what our franchisees margin is, how many deals we're getting closed, those things we're looking on at a weekly basis. Fantastic. So you've obviously had incredible success since launching the company in 2002. I mean, what do you think are the secrets behind the incredible run you've had so far? Well, I think for me as a, you know, I've grown a lot through the franchising business model. So I'm a big believer in franchising, taking something that is successful and being able to have it be locally applied because someone in my industry who's wanting to make a decision for home care for their mom or dad or grandma or grandpa wants to deal with some who's in their own community. Right. Um, and likely that has their own savings invested to do it the right ways. And they probably got a calling like I did because of a personal family experience to give great care and treat family like it was our own family. So I think the franchise model for me is the best way to do it. But I find many franchisors will franchise something they've never done. Mm. I don't understand. For me, I think the reason for our success, a couple of reasons. One, I think it's because we were willing to have a company-owned location, grow it to a second and third to make sure we could replicate the model and the success we had had in the first, a second or third time to make sure everything was well-documented before we started franchising. We So that's one. So I think that yeah. having the company-owned store, so you really truly know what you're going to have people have faith in you that you can teach them how to do it because you've done it yourself is one. Mm. The second is the selection of franchisees. So for us, it was never just about how quick could we grow, but we wanted to grow with the right people that really could do the right thing by the families and in their marketplace that they're taking care of. And I I think that's really kind of key to some of our success. And then the third is really looking at as a brand, what are the competitive advantages that we need to have for our franchisees to grow and our families to receive absolutely the best care. And so some of those have have been, you know, very large investments and very strategic investments to Mm. do the full continuum of care. You know, most companies in our industry only do non-medical we do non-medical and medical. And then what is the way that I'm going to make sure that my that I can sleep well at, at night knowing that my franchisees are living up to a very high standard when they're a thousand miles away from me was committing our brand to having all of our locations have to have an outside third-party accreditation through the Joint Commission. And that was a big undertaking, hundreds of thousands of dollars, because we funded all of the the programs and protocols in the beginning stages and took our first few franchisees through certification, you know, initially. Um, But we're the only, you know, private pay home care company who requires joint commission. It's not required for our customers, but it is something that we volunteered for. And out of 28,000 agencies that provide home care in the United States, there's only one brand Brightstar that's achieved an enterprise champion for quality designation, which is the highest level that you can get on quality with the Joint Commission. Cleveland Clinic has it, Mayo has it, and Brightstar has it. So I think it was a willingness to invest, to have clear competitive advantages, and being willing to say we're not we're willing not to grow as quickly, but we're going to grow the right way with the highest standards possible. And that's a niche that I believe not all families may be able to afford it, but every family aspires to give their loved ones the absolute best. 
So if they can't afford it, it would be Brightstar. You said so much great stuff in there. And first of all, I can't believe there's 28,000 home care agencies. I mean, that That's, yeah. again, puts into perspective the success you've had even more. You know, this is the a show about leadership, management, uh, career success. But often in my entrepreneurial work, I recommend to people that they figure out their positioning, their value proposition in a way that they are the only ones who can do what they do. And people look at me like I'm crazy because like, well, there's 28,000 of them out there. How can I be the only? Or it's too expensive to go do this thing to make me the only. Or this is putting up barriers. And yet you're a great case study of this. No one forced you to do this. You put up all kinds of money and time and pain to go through this. And yet now you are the only. And when you're the only, it doesn't mean you're for everybody. And that's good. You're not for everybody. You've defined that segment. So there's a lot that we can learn from that. So when it comes to today, when it comes to Bright Star, what are you most excited about? I think we're starting to get into new lines of business. So just like we were kind of leading edge in the home care space, I think there's always adjacent opportunities. And so for us, we've started a pilot of a senior living and memory care community because we've recognized that some families might not be safe still in their home, particularly if there's a dementia issue that develops and wanting to be a part of that family's journey as they need to progress from home to a um, assisted living setting. We're opening our own assisted living community so that uh, um, those families can progress with us. So I think that's really exciting. We're starting to look at international expansion and that's really exciting. And then continuing just to look at how technology might impact our industry as it will so many others with artificial intelligence and remote monitoring capabilities. How do you help families remain safe with an augmentation of home care one-on-one and technology that helps their dollars go farther so more people can have access to home care services and remain safely at home instead of having to move out to a nursing home at some point in time. I think people thrive being in the home. So I think we're trying to embrace technology, look at market expansions and look at geographic expansions as kind of where we are spending a lot of time in terms of the future for the business. And then on a personal front, I am um, been honored to serve as chair for the International Franchise Association this year. So, you know, franchising is very near and dear to my heart. I didn't envision when I first started Bright Star Care, being able to expand it to the level I have. Franchising has enabled me to do that. Many of your, you know, followers, uh, you know, have that same opportunity where they've got a great business and they can't imagine having the capital to expand it coast to coast. Franchising can be a great way to do that. So, That's what really has formed so much of my success that I wanted to give back to an industry that's given me so much. And so I've been honored to serve as their chair, which will, you know, end in February of 18, but it's been a near full-time job for a year. I was going to say, how do you fit it all in? (laughs) You know, I I, I don't need to sleep much, fortunately, (laughs) but you know, when when you have something that's making you feel so good about making a difference, I mentor probably 50 to 75 small businesses that are thinking about franchising or have recently started franchising. That to me is a thrill. I'll usually do it for them for six to 12 months when they really need it and can help them get that right path. And then hopefully they'll form a board of advisors or board of directors and help that forward. But giving back to small businesses and help them, I'm sure like you, seeing them kind of start to take off, be successful, gives me a lot of goodwill back. And so even though it's a lot of hours, it feels so good to do it. You just 
put sleep off for a year and I'll sleep in March. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm curious, like the way you're describing your business and your success, I mean, it comes off as very humble, first of all, but also very strategic. And I'm wondering, like, where do you go or where have you gone for your business education? I mean, you know, is it books? Is it mentors? Is it official programs? Where, where How have you learned all of this? Well, I, I think it's a combination. So I'm a YPO or Young President's Organization. Oh, yeah. So I tap into that network. I'm actually cramming right now for all my case studies because I'm there in January. <laughs> I go for a, a week at Harvard every year as part of the YPO Harvard Alliance. And so I learn a lot in that one week period. I spend two months preparing for it. So that's that's one way. And I'm in a forum. So I have eight other business owners kind of getting their ideas and helping me kind of expand my own. I met a lot of healthcare franchising and technology conferences per year so I can see what's coming, think about how that might apply for my business, decide how much of my budget I'm going to allocate towards R&D for continuing to evolve forward. Mm -hmm. And then I've been a big believer in a board of advisors since the very beginning. I've reformed it four times because at some point I'll, I'll be challenged by a board. I'm a big learner and I have big accountability and I will get to a level where I'm peers with my board. And then we part as friends and I reform my board. So I always have a board that's hopefully Mm. kicking me in the butt and helping me push for the next level. Um, That helps me be a better entrepreneur. I'm getting advice and and input that I haven't yet seen in what their experience is. Now I've had my same board for four years and I'm still getting my butt kicked every quarter. But that means I have a great board. I've got a franchise industry executive that's from a finance background, former uh, chairman of the IFA that you know, acquired a large franchisor and very heavy in marketing. And then a Harvard professor that's really big on employee engagement and client net promoter score. Um, So I have three great advisors that I get what's going on in the marketplace based on all the boards they sit on, but also challenging me to push myself and my organization to reach its potential. So I think it's reading. I think it's being in industries. I think it's being part of peer groups like YPO. And I think it's also important to have a board of advisors, even if that's informal for mentors in the early stages. And just for our listeners, you're referring to, so listeners, Shelly's referring to YPO, Young Presidents Organization, which is a great organization. You do have to uh, have already had a certain amount of success to get into YPO, but there's also YEO, Young Entrepreneurs Organization, which has, uh, you know, much more modest thresholds for membership. And the forum is like a peer network uh, group. And so you have forum and then a separate board of advisors. Correct. And, and a follow-up on your board, I'm curious, like, did you already know your board members at the time you approached them about, hey, can you more officially mentor me and join my board? Or do you just kind of, hey, that's someone I want because they're great on workplace culture and you cold email them? Yeah. So, so in each of the three, so the first one, David Barr, who's a finance guru and so serves on many franchise boards, I knew him casually through us being both in the franchising sector, both sitting on the International Franchise Association Board of Directors, but it wasn't getting formal mentoring from him and took a chance and asked. Sid Feltenstein, I had seen at IFA meetings, knew he had a real amazing marketing mind, and that's not a way that my brain thinks, but we were starting to get into TV advertising, Mm. which was a big investment, $5 million a year. I didn't necessarily have the talent internally to help make sure I spent that money effectively. Right. Um, And so I needed someone marketing. Sid told me no 
when I asked him to join my board, I didn't have a real relationship with him. <laughs> David Barr had served on boards with Sid. So David went and asked Sid. And so Sid said yes to David. I guess eventually said yes to me. <laughs> Love and that. then Boris Groisberg is a Harvard professor that has been in the program as one of my favorite professors. Francis Fry and Boris Groisberg are always my two favorite professors. And Boris said yes when I asked him if he'd consider being a board member. Um, he said he'd think about it. And then I brought in David to talk to Boris and he said, and Boris said yes to David. So David helped me get Sid and, and, and Boris on the, on the board, but all three really function together very well. Cause I have someone really great in financing strategy, someone really great on marketing and somebody really great on people and customer and research um, and access to a ton of data with, with Harvard as well. So the three of them are amazing. Now I pay them a lot. Obviously your listeners that are first starting out, Sure. When I first started out, I still had a great board for what I needed at the time. And I paid a great dinner and I didn't have any money to pay him in the first couple of years. And then once I could, I paid him $500 a meeting. And then once I could, I paid him $1,000 per meeting. Mm-hmm. And that lasted me through my first five years. And then I changed my board, but it didn't take a lot of money to still get good talent who were willing to help an entrepreneur. They didn't want to take the risk and work the, and work the hours to be an entrepreneur, but they were willing to live vicariously through someone who was willing to take that chance if they could give back by helping someone be successful that was willing to take that risk. Yeah, and I'm glad you you talked about that. It doesn't have to take a lot of money because LeadX family, I want to make sure you hear what Shelly's saying. Certainly, if you are a business owner, this is great to have an advisory board and a great way to put one together. But even if you're young and wanting to advance in your career in a big company, you should have a career board of advisors. And I always say, it's not just yeah, I can call Uncle Bob when I want for some advice. You should reach out to two, three, four, five people that have agreed to come together over dinner a couple times a year, once a quarter, to hear how it's going and to 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 give you advice. And those early days, I think, you know, <laughs> a conversation at a nice steakhouse or something is often all it takes, especially if you have some kind of relationship. But as you go on, the other thing that I'm hearing is, a lot of a lot of people want to give back and the most busy successful people still make time to give back and to mentor others so you'll get people who just want to help you but you'll also get advisors who want to get a relationship with the other advisors. So once you get one on or two on, it becomes easier because now it's like, oh, I'm going to have dinner. I can be helpful and I'm going to get to know this professor. So all of a sudden there's some extra incentives and we don't need to wait until we're running a hundred person, a thousand person company to do this. We could do this just for our own career, our own company of one. Yep. Absolutely agree. So, Shelly, what is the best way for our listeners to find out more about you and Brightstar? I mean, whether they're interested in, you know, your services for a family member or they're interested in franchise opportunities. So the best way to find out about services for a loved one or anything about our organization is brightstarcare.com. And then anything having to do with, you know, researching franchise opportunities, brightstarfranchise.com. And then for those that may just be thinking about franchising as a way to scale or some of the things that we talked about in terms of ways to lead or form a board of advisors or things like that. For me, I was on Undercover Boss a few years ago, and I knew that I would get a lot of business owners or those in corporate America wanting to reach out and have me mentor. And I knew I wouldn't have the bandwidth to say yes. 
So I self-published a book and put $100,000 of my way of giving back to those who might aspire to take their business and scale it through franchising. So Grow Smart, Risk Less is also a book with all of my management and leadership philosophies and a way to evaluate whether your business could scale through franchising, easily searchable on amazon.com. All of that money goes back to the franchising industry as we don't keep any of that. So it was my way, again, to kind of continue to give back to an industry that's given me so much, but also help those like your listeners that might be thinking about, I've got a amazing $50,000 a year business, but could it be so much bigger through the scale and power of franchising than I've seen that many businesses can be. And it was my way to help people research if that could be a way to grow for themselves. I love that. And when I read you onto the show with your bio, I mentioned the undercover boss in the book and I wasn't asking about the book because I thought it might be too franchise specific. But now that we've had this conversation, I'm going to have you back. I'm going to read the book and then have you back on (laughs) so we could talk about the advice inside the book. Have to. Happy to. A lot of it's leadership related. So happy to. I think that's applicable for everybody. Excellent. And Shelly, we'll put all of those links in the show notes everywhere that the show appears. Perfect. Thanks for coming on to the LeadX show. Pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. LeadX family, that wraps up another mentoring session packed with advice just for you. Before I go, I hope you'll remember that at LeadX, we're on a mission to give free leadership training and professional development to everyone, anywhere, at any time. Visit leadx.org to check out our free course of the day and our weekly live webinars. And if you're the kind of person who always says thank you, please take one minute to go leave a rating for the LeadX show on iTunes because we're at 246 reviews and we need to get to 300 We get about two ratings a week, which is less than one per show. My heart is breaking. But big thanks to the new reviews from last month from Masahi, Annette's Guy, Zintim69, Mike071966, Stacy H331, Kaplan and Carolina, Princess Rose Love, McGahee01, and Living with Intention. And of course, because leadership is influence and we are all leading all of the time, It's just a question of whether we're leading in a positive direction or a negative direction. How will you lead today?